millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and uh, today I'm going to talk uh, about the the long history of industrial struggle um, in Great Britain between the government uh, and the miners. Um, there are two main uh, moments, um, periods of, of, of intensity of that struggle um, in the uh, first half of the 1920s, and then in the period uh, 1973 to 1984. Uh, And the two are are deeply connected. And uh, in 1984, with the final defeat of the miners' strike and the National Union of Mine Workers, uh, the Conservative government, led by Margaret Thatcher, broke the power of the, the miners and broke the power of the the mining industry um, as the the move towards uh, dismantling coal in Britain um, reached its its kind of final stage, but what I want to do tonight is talk about the first period uh, in the nineteen twenties, and I'm working from a brilliant book by Francis Beckett and David Henk called Marching to the Fault Line, which um, is a, a a history of the miners' strike. Um, at the 1984 miners' strike. Um, and they begin in 1926, um, or the run-up to 1926 and the general strike. Um, and Beckett and Henk write, The story of the 1984-85 to miners' strike starts in 1926. Without the 1926 general strike, nothing that happened in the next six decades makes sense. And the foundations of the 1926 general strike were laid six years earlier, in 1920, when trade unions were more powerful than they had ever been been before, as they were again in 1978, six years before the Great Strike for Jobs. Now, the 
the power of trade unions in the immediate aftermath of the First World War, it was really something to behold. It is um, far beyond anything um, after four decades of neoliberalism in Great Britain um, that we, we can conceive of. Um, in uh, 1920, 45% of the workforce belonged to a trade union. Um, that percentage didn't wasn't reached again until 1974, um, a, a, the 1970s being probably the the greatest uh, decade for um, worker uh, for you know worker power in the United Kingdom, and all for, and as a result, by the time you get to 1975, you have the greatest returns to labour from uh, increased productivity uh, that you have at any point in, in the 20th century. Uh, and from that point onwards, those returns decline until you get to the astonishing levels of poverty and inequality that we experience in Great Britain uh, today uh, as uh, returns from um, increased levels of productivity um, go over uh, and above uh, what could possibly be expected as reasonable to capital. And it's interesting to note that uh, at the high point of union power in 1974, the unions uh, were just a decade away from their, their ultimate defeat at the hands of the Conservative government. Six and a half million trade unionists were affiliated through their unions to the Trade Union Congress, a peak not reached again until after the Second World War. This is referring uh, against to, to, to 1920. Um, this is um, Beckett and Henk writing. Many small craft unions had emerged, had merged into big general unions uh, that had survived more or less intact until very recently. The Amalgamated Engineering Union, the Transport and General Workers Union, and the National Union of General and, you know, General and Municipal Workers, a quarter of a million, uh, with a quarter of a million workers or so. There was another merger mania in the 1970s in which dozens of smaller unions disappeared into these three already huge unions. But in 1920, even the biggest general unions were dwarfed by the 900,000-strong Miners' Federation of Great Britain. Now, in David Edgerton's um, The Rise and Fall of the British Nation, he just devotes an entire section to coal, which I think we read from some time ago, um, at which... Uh, spells out this the the vastness of Britain's coal industry and the vastness of Britain's coal exports uh, and how Britain's coal exports in the 19th century, in the early 20th century, really were one of the chief fuel sources for much of the planet. So the demand for coal created this enormous workforce, um, getting it uh, from the, uh, the the coal seams to the surface was hard, dangerous work, uh, and coal owners had a generally uh, very, very bad record of exploiting their men, forcing them to work long hours for fairly feasible pay, and housing them in miners' cottages, which uh, were, in most instances, um, cold, drafty, leaky, uh, and uh, generally unpleasant places to live. So, as a result, um, solidarity amongst the miners was the, the kind of the, the, the inevitable outcome of that, knowing that in order to protect oneself and protect one's living standards, 
one's stuck with one's comrades. Um, when they went on strike, they all went out. Though they knew that after the strike, um, the, stri- the the owners, um, if they uh, had the upper hand, would victimise strike leaders and evict them from their homes. Um, to be called a strike breaker, a scab, was the ultimate insult. So, in 1922, um, the Triple Alliance of Miners, Dock Workers and Railwaymen, um, the, uh, th- the three interconnected uh, uh, professions that had the capacity to bring the country to a standstill, uh, revived itself. Um, and the threat of concerted action by all three um, would not only shut off the country's power source, but prevent any alternatives to that power source, um, any you know foreign coal, from being shipped in and take, uh, as simply the dock workers would go on strike and refuse to take coal off, uh, and railwaymen would refuse to ship coal around the country. But for all the might of the union movement, uh, and this included, by 1922, a very powerful TUC, there was a, a schism between the trade unions and the, the Labour Party. The Labour Party had obviously emerged from the Labour Representation Committee, uh, which had um, been uh, a, a key product of the trade union movement. The trade union movement viewed the Labour Party as the sort of the, the younger sibling, if you will. Um, and the uh, Labour Party viewed the trade union movement as the, the kind of the, the unsophisticated um, working class um, branch of the Labour movement, which didn't understand the complexities of political power and had no idea really how to further the interests, not just of the working classes, but of the British nation uh, in, in general. Um, the Labour Party was far less a party of the working classes uh, throughout much of its existence than uh, many of its members would, would care to suggest. Overall, since its first administration under Ramsay MacDonald in 1924, it very quickly tried to position itself as a party of national interest. Um, and there lies a, always a constant tension with the trade union movement. It's always very easy for the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party of the day to present the trade union movement as sectional and unpatriotic, not, will, not willing to muck in with the rest of the national interest. And it's an argument Labour could never really win. It was very difficult for Labour to uh, defend the trade union movement uh, on that basis. And often Labour was unwilling to, to do so. Beckett and Hank write, The TUC had already, before the First World War, been the key player in the creation of the Labour Party. And up to the 1990s, union leaders looked on the Labour Party as an errant younger brother, and on Labour politicians as grubby chaps who occasionally had their uses. And here's the key point. The real work of the working class, they believed, was done in union offices. Unionism in Britain has always had kind of two, uh, two key aspects to it. Firstly, the protection of wages and working conditions. And secondly, the idea that trade unions are a vehicle for creating a better kind of society. And there was um, uh, no small amount of utopianism around after the uh, the Russian Revolution 
uh, and uh, after the end of the First World War. The foundation of the Communist Party in Great Britain in 1920. The world of the left in 1920 was heavily shaped by the development of the Communist Party, um, uh, Beckett and Henk Wright. It was two and a half years since the Russian Revolution of 1917, and the mood of the times seemed to be with them, the Communist Party. In a nation that had fought and won the most terrible and destructive war in history, limbless ex-servicemen were reduced to begging and selling matches on the streets of the cities. The Conservative-dominated government under David Lloyd George, which had won the snap election after the war, the khaki election, seemed only interested in returning to the old, unfair and class-ridden pre-war society. When there was a strong mood for change, and there seemed to be no hope of change in the democratic process, then revolutionary talk catches on. And the lives of the generation of 1920 were indelibly scarred by the war. Some had opposed it, had been assaulted daily by men, and handed white, flowers, uh, white feathers by women, and thrown into jail. Others had seen in the trenches things that no one should ever see, and lost nearly all their male friends, and had never quite got over the sense of guilt that they had somehow survived. It seemed a betrayal of their dead friends to accept the injustices found when they returned. Had their friends died so that their wives and children should be starved and exploited. So these were the, the kind of the ingredients of a new industrial militancy uh, from the 1920s uh, onwards. Um, the support for the Russian Revolution, which in some uh, quarters of uh, Britain's uh, working class was seen as the establishment of a new workers' state um, and the um, clear involvement of Britain, France, America and other capitalist powers in the Russian Civil War uh, gained uh, amongst the, the Communist Party uh, and the left of the trade union movement a great deal of ire and, and resentment. Uh, during the Civil War, um, a ship that was carrying artillery shells to Russia, uh, dock workers refused to load it. This was the, the ship was called the Jolly George, uh, and it was the the Jolly George incident, also in 1920, that began to convince the British government that further involvement in the kind of uh, adventure in Russia uh, was um, not advisable. Beckett and Hank Wright. The party's influence, the Communist Party that is, in 1920 extended well beyond the relatively small number of people who were actually paid up members. Thus it was that a young Communist firebrand called Harry Pollitt, who was to become the, CB, uh, the, the Communist Party of Great Britain's most important leader in its entire history, was able in 1920 to lead the London Dockers through their trade union to refuse to load arms onto a ship, the Jolly George, because the arms were you to be used against the Bolsheviks in Russia. And thus it One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It was that though its formal membership never amounted to much, the Communist Party was a key player in the event in events for the next 60 years. Strikes were frequent in 1920 and frequently successful because unions were well supported. Union leaders became national figures, another tradition that lasted until the 1980s, uh, 1984-5 miners' strike and then ceased abruptly. From 1920 to 1984, the great union leaders were household names ranking us alongside top politicians. Ernest Bevan, Walter Citrine, Arthur Cook, Frank Cousins, Hugh Scanlon, Jack Jones, Lawrence Daly... Len Murray and Arthur Scargill. Some of the harshest living conditions uh, in the country were to be found in mining communities. They had poverty pay and tied, ho- uh, and tied housing. This was housing that belonged to the mine owners. That was often not fit for human habitation. Their tiny basic terraced homes were packed into small spaces in areas where there was no alternative for employment. They had outdoor lavatories. You had to go out the back, go up the steps, and walk about 15 or 20 yards and carry a bucket of water with you, recalled one veteran years later. So as mentioned, mine owners would control um, their workforce uh, through uh, making sure that they controlled the, uh, the cottages that the workers lived in, and knowing that in remote areas like the South Wales Valleys, there was really nothing else to go and do. There was there were no other sources of um, employment on uh, mass for that uh, would offer uh, better wages. And Iron Bevan, uh, the uh, founder of the NHS, um, was the son of a South Wales miner, and he wrote, recounted in his memoirs that his mother would wake up before five a.m to get the husband ready to go out to uh, the mine and her eight children out to school so that then she could start her work as a seamstress. By that means, they scraped together the money to buy the four-room terrace cottage uh, that they lived in, um, only to find that the pit underneath the cottage caused subsidence and they had to spend their evenings propping up the roof. Uh, later, Bevan said that the um, the, the uh, mine owner, Lord Tredegar, having taken out the colonel, the coal, wanted to sell the shell. Coal was a vital resource, obviously, and it employed 900,000 miners, who potentially had a great deal of industrial might as a result of this. They believed 
that there could be something better, um, and that they uh, and that uh, militancy could bring that. Um, the union um, uh, had uh, was was kind of explicit in in that um, in, in that that position, uh, and perhaps it was to do with the size of the workforce, smaller workforces, um, and smaller memberships perhaps had uh, less of uh, a, a belief in the power of, of militancy. Um, the, the writer Anne Perkins wrote, uh, The importance of solidarity for, the survival, for survival in the pits, the shared danger at work and hardship at home, the stark division between labour and capital, and the lack of anything else to do, made God and socialism popular and often overlapping sources of solace. Um, the mines had been nationalised during the First World War and were denationalised immediately afterwards, which was a, a blow to the miners um, who were more keen for them to remain in government hands because they trusted the government more. Um, they uh, believed that there would be fewer industrial accidents and they saw uh, the mine owners, by and large, uh, as kind of lazy, greedy and unimaginative um, and uh, responsible really for the demise of the industry. The extent to which that is true is, is kind of uh, debatable. Um, Renationalisation was uh, the, the top of the list of the demands for um, the Miners' Federation of Great Britain. Um, but the Conservative-dominated government uh, under Lloyd George, the the, the uh, national government, um, was determined really to dump the um, the commitment to the mines um, and to uh, avoid any resumption of um, those sorts of, of of kind of wartime practices. Not only were people like Lloyd George. In, in kind of uh, by instinct, economic liberals they believed in a minimal amount of state intervention. They saw the state as being already overcommitted um, in terms of the the massive expansion of state um, uh, functioning and control during the war, uh, and they wanted the, the there was a belief that when markets were allowed to function again, these were people classic economic liberals then uh, there would be all sorts of economic shocks, mainly for poor people to experience. But ultimately, the country would kind of resume to how it was before the First World War. Obviously, it can't possibly do that because of the, the post-war economic conditions and the, the global transitions of, of, of power away from, from Great Britain. The coal owners saw their dividends shrinking as they failed to compete with foreign coal and resorted to uh, a simple formula of cutting the cost of production by cutting the miners' wages and increasing their hours. Um, the, the Triple Alliance was called, uh, was evoked, and the Dockers, Miners and Railwaymen's strike called for the 21st of April 1921. The Dockers and Railwaymen eventually refused to come out with the miners, um, and they believed that the Miners' Federation of Great Britain would hopefully... Uh, strike a compromise. The miners don't. They go on strike on their own, and they held out till June and returned to work um, with pay not just reduced, but in many districts halved. So it was a huge defeat for the miners. 
the increased poverty and squalor in which they lived um, brought about a deep sense of grievance uh, against the fellow trade unionists that they believed had betrayed them. And this would um, emerge again in 1926 during the general strike. Industrial action having uh, been unsuccessful for the moment to produce the uh, social and political changes that the miners hoped for, uh, they focused their hopes on um, action through the Labour Party itself. Um, and the, the miners believed, perhaps naively, that as the union movement had created the Labour Party, that they were somehow likely to be able to influence the Labour Party or be able to demand that the Labour Party represent them. Labour MPs almost never saw it that way. The unions had created the Labour Party, writes Beckett and Henk. In fact, in 1918, the Labour Party did not even recruit individual members. You could only become a member by being an, uh, in an affiliated trade union or a socialist society like the Fabians. In January 1924, Labour's first ever Prime Minister, Ramsay MacDonald, took office. That day, David Kirkwood, the newly elected left-wing uh, Labour MP, told his cheering supporters in his, his London-bound train, um, as his London-bound train pulled out of Glasgow station, when we come back, all this will belong to the people. But as he was speaking, MacDonald was apologising to King George V for the behaviour of Labour supporters at the Victory Rally. They had got into the way of singing the red flag. By degrees, he hoped to break down this habit. Labour was already ready to make enormous compromises to the British state and to British capital uh, and to all other aspects of the British establishment right from the, the very beginning. Not that it saved them the um, uh, secret services and uh, the civil service, had worked to comprehensively undermine MacDonald within eight months. As a result of this kind of dismal political failure, the, the focus of militancy passed back to the union movement away from the Labour Party. Um, and there was one figure, more than any other, who um, began to shape union militancy, particularly the, the mine workers' militancy, in the 1920s, um, a, an activist by the name of Arthur Cook. Um, Cook was the son of a soldier from Somerset, um, a Baptist preacher who became uh, an iconic figure amongst the miners who admired him immensely. Um, Beckett and Hank Wright. By all the rules, he should have been a poor speaker, for he had a high voice and his, and his speeches were not held together by logical structure. But they were emotional, and he had an evangelical rhythm, and he was saying what the miners wanted to hear. He would take off his jacket and intone passionately the views he wished his audience to adopt, and he was loved and admired in mining communities, much as Arthur Scargill was 60 years later. Scargill is said to have modelled himself on Arthur Cook, and there are superficial similarities, but the two men were fundamentally different characters. Cook became general secretary under a Labour government, but had to deal with its conservative successor, whose huge majority, 419 seats to Labour's 159, made it very powerful. One of his first actions was to return to the gold standard, a decision which was to store up much trouble for Labour later, but which the conventional economists of the time considered inevitable. 
It seemed to the less conventional economist John Maynard Keynes that it was done for the benefit of the city financiers at the expense of the workers, especially miners. For a time, Winston Churchill, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, seemed to agree, with words that might uh, years later have, be, have stood as a rebuke to Margaret Thatcher. I would rather see, see finance less proud and industry more content, but in the end he bowed to conventional advice. So it was these kind of big um, fiscal instruments uh, and uh, monetarist uh, instruments that brought about the um, the devastation of the, the of the miners in 1925. Um, that summer, um, there were reduced profits once again, and the mine owners uh, planned to further cuts to miners' pay. They suggested that the industry was losing a million pounds a month, and the miners said that uh, previously uh, it had made in the previous four years it had made profits. Of fifty-eight million pounds, um, none of which was obviously going to be shared with them. Um, the next thing we're going to look at in this topic, because I want to continue with looking at um, trade union militancy in Britain, was is the role of Arthur Cook, who brought about the uh, well-known slogan, "Not a penny off the pay, not a minute on the day." Okay, thanks very much, guys, and I'm going to um, leave you there, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast um, next week. Thanks very much, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.